welcome to the slip of Brandon Bear. Welcome to the slip. I'm the host Brandon Baird. You can follow me on Twitter at Bairdian underscore slip. Welcome to season two of the slip return of the slip. It's been a long time since I've been able to put down a podcast, um, but we've revamped some things. We got some good things coming your way um, with this revamped uh, podcast. I'm going to have a more collaborative approach. Um, I'm going to get a lot of different people in. I'm going to get a lot of different voices um, so that we can talk Atlanta sports for the true ATLian and any other haters that want to listen on as well. Uh, we got a jam-packed show today. Um, we don't have any Braves talked um, today, but we do have some baseball talk as Um, The news around baseball has been some of the biggest it's been in, I would say, almost um, two decades. I mean, ever since the steroid era, this is the biggest news um, that has come out of baseball. Um, We're also going to get into a little bit of Hawks talk. But first, I got to tell you that I'm slipping on something with the Falcons. And here it is. Don't want to piss them off. Here is what he's slipping on. So this is what I'm slipping on. I'm slipping on Thomas Dimitrov. And I'm going to tell you why I'm slipping on Thomas Dimitrov. It's because he doesn't know how to draft. I mean, ever since he's come here in 2008, he's had some success. I mean, that, that's all I can really describe it as. Because when he hits... He really hits it good. But when he doesn't, it's really, really bad. And quite frankly, that doesn't make um, success for the long-term and sustainable success. I mean, when you think about that playoff window and that Super Bowl window that um, the Falcons had when he first got here from 2010 to 2012 when they actually lost in the NFC Championship, Um, you can say that a lot of the pieces that were there were from, you know, like the Jim Moore era, honestly, because I'm I'm not counting any Bobby Petrino era. There was not a Bobby Petrino era. He, He is a bum. But anyway, you know, you think about a lot of people that have been around. You think about Roddy White. You think about Todd McClure. You think about, um... John Abraham, those are some of the people that were around and were people that were really counted on for the long-term success during that Super Bowl window. And when you saw those guys getting old, and when you saw those guys retire or move on, you saw them regress. You saw that regression in 2013 and 2014 when the Falcons did not make the playoffs. You saw that regression when Roddy White and Julio Jones were injured, and then you had Harry Douglas as your top receiver. And he, although he was a good receiver, he was not a, a guy that you could depend on regularly and ha- be successful. You know, force-feeding Harry Douglas is not the way to go and win 
teams. And then you saw the pass rush. I mean, after John Abraham left, when was the last time we had a pass rush? I mean, we could count that Vic Beasley season when he got um, the 15 and a half sacks and led the league. But even then, we weren't the best pass rushing team out there. You know, you usually think that a team that has the, the leading sack getter was a team that led the league in sacks. But no, we were still in the bottom half of of um, pass rush. So when you think about the things that were happening after that point, you can't really say that he's done too good of a job. And that's the frustrating part. And so what I'm slipping on is that although he may hit those big ones, you got to look at him. Matt Ryan, of course, is a big hit. A Julio Jones is a big hit. Um, you got to think about um, a Desmond Trufant and even a Robert Alford, big hits. Um, a Devontae Freeman, Ricardo Allen, Tevin Coleman, Grady Jarrett, Austin Hooper. Those are big hits. But when you think about some of those second and third round picks that were fails and not just, you know, like, oh, you know, he wasn't good enough to play on this level, but some people that were really, really bad that when you think about a person that goes in the second or third round, you're thinking that they'd be able to be coached up and would turn into a person that can be a dependable starter. And that is few and far between. Um, You look at the 2008 draft. Um, In the second round, they got Curtis Lofton, who was serviceable, but we let move on in free agency when he wanted too much money. Um, and he's only a guy that could stop the run. You put him in coverage and he get beat all day. It's like we aren't you shouldn't be paying a middle linebacker top level money if he can't cover worth a damn. Um, but then you look in the third round, Chevis Jackson, that was a bust. Harry Douglas, that worked. Um, Thomas Deku. Um, I mean, he had a couple good years, but overall he was very mediocre. Um, when you think about some of the people that were the best of that draft, you got to look at a Croy Bierman who was in the fifth round. You know, that's the guy that hung around the, the longest out of all those people other than Matt Ryan and Harry Douglas. So, like, that's not that good of a draft when you're looking at trying to get those pieces for long-term success. When you look at the 2009 draft, you get William Moore in the second round, and he was a good player. I'm not going to lie. I really like William Moore, um, but the thing is, he was always injured. But you look around, every other person at draft, Perea Jerry. Jerry was in the first round, and he did not turn in. Christopher Owens was a guy who got consistently burnt, and he stayed on the team because there was no other better player that can take the fourth string spot from him. Lawrence Sidbury did nothing. William Middleton, I don't even know who that is. So, like, you look at that, and it's just like, yo, what what is going on? And then you look at the 2010 draft. 
In the first round, you get Sean Weatherspoon. In the third round, you get Corey Peters. And those were good picks. Those really were good picks. But then when you wanted to solidify the draft or you solidify the line in the draft, you get people like Mike Johnson and Joe Hawley. And although Joe Hawley was somewhat serviceable, you know, like he was just a backup. And before, and he was in the fourth round. Mike Johnson, who was in the third round, who was a guy who you'd hope you'd be able to coach up, who was out of, out of Alabama, you know, he played SEC ball. He did not start even more games than Joe Harley. I'm not even sure he started more than five games. And then you look in the 2011 draft. We got Julio Jones. So that draft looks good, um, especially when you look at Matt, Matt Bosher, who has been a good punter, who we got in the sixth round. So, you know, those late round picks, that those are fine. But we didn't have any second round picks because of the um, – because of the Julio trade. But then in the third round, we got Hakeem Dent. He was a guy that was supposed to be that linebacker to come in after Curtis Lofton um, left. And he just wasn't there, you know? When you think about that 2011, 2012, and 2013 years, we had two outside linebackers that were our predominant linebackers because we did not have a true middle linebacker a true person to be in the middle of the defense that can really take control. And we saw that suffer as the Falcons defense started to suffer in the run game at that point. They still didn't have a pass rush other than John Abraham. And, and you know, well, I, I can't, I can't lie. We did have Babineau, but you know, the, the defense was not, what it should have been. And the thing that really, really hurts the Falcons was the 2012 draft. And you might think, oh, in the 2012 draft, that's when they went to the NFC Championship. How, how are you going to call that draft the worst? Well, the thing is, like I said at the beginning of this segment, you had a lot of pieces that were there before even Dimitrov got there that were really holding this Falcons team together. Um, and when you look at the 2012 draft, you look at where they tried to get um, some some line help. They tried to get some pass rushing help. You get in the second round, which is your first pick because of the Julio Jones trade, you get Peter Collins. In the third round, you get Lamar Holmes, who was a turnstile when he was rushed into action. You get Brady Ewing, a fullback out of Wisconsin, who got injured and did not play at all. In the fifth round, you got Jonathan Massaquah, who was your best pass rusher in Mike Smith's last year. And then he's been all around in the minor league football leagues. He was in the AAFL. Now he's playing in the XFL. It's like, yo, like these are the people that you're counting on having sustained success for the future. And that one draft, like after three years, you would hope that you would have at least one starter that would actually last for a little bit. You would hope to at least be able to extend one of them and not one of them after three years was on the team. Not one of them after three years was on the team. 
And when you think about Thomas Dimitrov, yeah, he can hit those first-round picks because you see, like, you got a Desmond Trufant, you got a Jake Matthews, you got a Vic Beasley, a Keanu Neal, a Tack McKinley. Like, those were all good picks, and I feel like um, he should be, um, you know, given some, you know, he, he should be given some props for those picks. I'm not even going to lie. But when you look at those picks in the second and third round, he consistently misses. And when you consistently miss like that, you aren't able to have sustainability down the road. You know, that's why it hurts free agency when you have to go try to pick up people that other teams did not want to sign. You know, when's the last time the Falcons signed a player that teams other teams wanted? You know, when's the last time that's happened? It seems that when we go into free agency, we always seem to overpay for a player that's just not worth the money. And it really showed its ugly head last year when Dimitrov and Dan Quinn signed two guards who at the end of the year were not starting. And you're telling me that you're paying 12 to 14 million for two people that did not start when we could have just had Wes Schweitzer out there and gotten the same production. Not saying that Wes Schweitzer would have been good exactly, but I'll take Wes Schweitzer's bad other than paying 12 to 14 million for two guards who did not do anything. They really did not. So when I look at this draft and we have two second round picks and a third round pick, those are the picks that I'm looking for some quality picks that people that can either come in and start or come in and be productive or at the very least, be someone who is hanging around three years from now. But I'll be quite honest with you, I don't have that faith with Dimitrov. I don't. Because time and time again, he has shown me that he should not be trusted on trying to find quality in the second and third round. Because more times than not, he has not done the job. And that is what I'm slipping on. You're listening to The Slip with Brandon Baird. All right, let's get into some baseball talk. Uh, We're not going to have any Braves talk this week uh, because if you haven't realized, the biggest baseball story of possibly all time is going on right now. And... I don't even think that's a hot take uh, because of just what all is going on. Um, You know, this Astros cheating scandal, no one thought it would be this big. Um, The thing is, the players could not have been punished under the collective bargaining agreement. Um, that they have because the players um, essentially are going under the 
I didn't know I couldn't do that. And it's it holds up in this case because there was nothing actually in the CBA that says they could not steal signs from players using video. Um, there was a warning that was sent out, but still there wasn't exactly anything within the CBA that said this is what the punishment will be if you get caught doing this. And here's the thing with that. Um, that means Rob Manfred had to punish the um, the management because they're the ones that actually got the memo that said you will be punished if something happens. And that doesn't affect the players' union, right? So that's what's going on. But Rob was in a lose-lose situation because even though like he said that, yeah, we gave immunity because they're... Um, otherwise, we wouldn't have gotten any feedback from people or gotten the real answers. I think that is completely true. But also within that, um, even if he didn't give immunity, it's not like he would have been able to find out anything. Um, and it's kind of surprising how little some of the players um, around the Major League Baseball do not know their CBA by some of the things that they're talking about. I mean, I get it. I see why they're frustrated. Um, I see why a lot of players do not like what is going on. Um, and honestly, Rob Manfred is not making it easier on himself by the way he's talking about these situations. I mean, he honestly does not understand what to do in these situations. And it's honestly just shocking because he he has never been good at speaking publicly about the issues and he honestly does not know how to handle these issues it's like what did he ask roger goodell for help because i mean honestly how can someone mess this up from a pr standpoint this bad from him saying that the world series championship doesn't matter it's like that's not exactly what he meant but also, it's like, yo, you just say that taking it away is not going to erase the memories that people have. That makes more sense. People actually understand that. But saying that it's useless, it's the commissioner's trophy. How are you going to say something that is named not after you, but your title is on it is useless? You know who's useless? Rob Manfred is useless because he's shown time and time again that he does not know how to handle these situations. And baseball is such in some deep stuff that is exciting that people are actually being drawn into baseball because of what is going on. It's amazing. I, I, I honestly can't comprehend how amazing this is that who would have thought a cheating scandal like stealing signs using videotapes would actually be bringing in more people and actually make baseball more exciting because I tell you what people are going to be looking out for. People are going to be looking out for the time when there's going to be a brawl, the time like what is going to happen. And this is how big this story is getting and how many crazy things are going on. You get players like Anthony Rizzo and Turner and Bellinger that are just actively trolling 
the Astros, you get a guy who is the whistleblower, Mike Fires. He's getting death threats. You get players on um, the Astros that are getting death threats. You get players talking out about other players um, in a way that's never happened before. You get ex-players talking. You get someone like David Ortiz who's calling Mike Fears a snitch. Like, this is the crazy stuff that is going on in this game. And here's the thing that baseball should do. They should embrace this. They really should. Like, they they aren't getting the same ratings, and there's so many reasons why that is. It's not because it's a slow game. It's just that people are not interested in baseball as they once were. There's so many different, more interesting sports going on. NBA has more of the excitement. The NFL has more of the excitement at baseball honestly just does not have right now but you get some of this bad tension and goodness gracious it adds that certain element that people are going to want to see so baseball shouldn't embrace this because it's not like it's some actual big issue like we're talking about stealing signs stealing signs when you think about life issues, that's not a big deal. You know, it's not like they're dealing with um, domestic violence right now or that they're dealing with um, an image issue of the people in the league. Although there are some instances in there, um, but this issue is not comparable to those issues. Those are societal issues. Stealing signs isn't a societal issue that needs to be handled. You know, you are not going to get public um, memos on commercials by saying, you should not steal signs. This is the way that America is going to crumble. No, it's not going to happen like that. No. So they should embrace it. And the Astros should embrace being the villains. Like, how great would it be if at some point that the Astros, or more particularly if um, Jose Altuve is in a different ballpark and he hits a go-ahead home run and he just embraces the heel of running around the bases after a go-ahead home run as everybody just boos him and he's cupping his his ear with his hand because he's like ah yes i want more of this i want y'all to boo me in y'all's agony that is how you bring baseball back but i'm not sure if they're going to be able to do that I, i'm just not sure i'm not sure if baseball is willing to use this as a way to get attention um and the thing is, I, I can understand why they don't want that. Because right now, the majority of the attention that they're getting is not because it's um, just an interesting story or just because um, it's like, oh, wow, this is 
generally something that I love about baseball. No, it's because people are being stupid. People are being, Rob Manfred is being stupid. And it's just like, the thing that's drawing the headlines and what's continuing this bad PR run that's been going on for at least two and a half weeks now is how people are wondering what's the next stupid thing that's going to happen. Because if there's anything that people love, it's comedy when people are being stupid. And that's all this is. And when I think about whether or not baseball is going to actually use this as a situation where they can build an audience, I don't think they're going to be willing to do that. Because what they'd actually be admitting to is, I'm going to make money and I'm going to get ratings off of my stupidity. But then again, maybe Rob Manfred is just too stupid to realize that. You're listening to The Slip with Brandon Baird. All right, so I'm just give you some final thoughts to wrap up this this week's podcast, um, and it's something that's really been bothering me. I'm not slipping on it exactly, but it's just something that's been bothering me. Um, recently, um, I saw something um, on ESPN's The Jump, um, which of course is the basketball-based show, um, where Trey Young was on the jump, and Scottie Pippen asked him, how long can a player of your caliber take losing? And the thing that's frustrating about that is that it's his second year in the league, and people are expecting him to do things that other people have not had those expectations of. And it's quite quite frankly not fair. Not that life has to be fair, but why are we switching the goalpost on this? Why are we moving things? Um, it seems that people love to put their expectations on things in unjust ways because they just want to create content. And I, I honestly think it's irresponsible and that it just shouldn't be happening. Um, you know, you think about where the Hawks were when Trey Young was drafted. Um, they had been in some bad cap situation. Atlanta has historically been a city that free agents do not want to go to, and it's not like they had enough cap room because they were paying Kent Bazemore too much. Um, and you know, they just had a lot of back contracts from signing people like Dwight Howard and having to exchange those things for the lesser Plumley and things like that. So, you know, Trey Young comes in and people didn't think he was going to be this good um, as a guy that can honestly put up 50 points on any given night and average a double double. Um, for long spurts, you know, people did not see him as a person that would be in the top three of points scored average. 
yet in his second season, people are asking him, how long are you willing to be with a bad team? Even LeBron got more more chances than that. Like, And he had a, a team of nobodies, and they're acting like, like Trey Young is just supposed to come out here and and do all this work. And it's like you got to let teams build. Because when Trey Young was drafted, the Hawks were not in a good spot. But they're building. When you think about the position that they're in right now, where they had Trey Young and Kevin Herter, um, those are two pieces and Kevin Herter is such a good compliment to Trey Young and then in the next draft you get a little bit um, more of your your forwards your small forwards with um, Hunter and Radish who are only in the rookie year but people are expecting more from them and you know you got to give them a chance to learn you got to give them a chance to grow and grow into what their NBA um, their NBA potential is going to be. And when I think about people sitting here and acting like Trey Young should be asking for a trade to a better team and not let Atlanta build, it's, it's just frustrating because trying to not build and grow too quick is only going to set you back in the long term. If you want to have sustained growth, you have to give it time. And I'm just give you an example. Steph Curry, who has three championships now, was given all the time in the world. In his first three seasons, he was 26 and 56, 36 and 46, 23 and 43, with a lot of injury issues. It wasn't until his fourth year where he actually made the playoffs. And when they made the playoffs those times, they were at the bottom end of the playoff bracket, which means that you are a middling team in your conference in general. They made sixth place, sixth place in the conference just to make the playoffs, but that's in their fourth year. So what I'm asking people to do it just gets the Atlanta Hawks and give Trey Young a little bit of time. Because right now, you are not giving him enough patience and you aren't giving the Hawks front office and the young players enough time so that they grow within themselves and grow into a team that can be a potential contender. And that takes time. If you want a consistent and perennial contender, you have to give it time. All right, guys, that's all we got for this week. Next week, I'm going to give you all my Falcons draft, mock draft 1.0. We're going to get into a little bit of Atlanta United talk, especially after that second leg of the CONCACAF Champions League. And I'm also hoping that we could get a Braves roster review with our baseball extraordinaire, Dennis Coble. Thanks for tuning in to The Slip. I'm the host, Brandon Baird. You can follow me on Twitter at Bairdian underscore slip. Thanks to Joe Albertson for the music. I'll see y'all next week.